0: welcome to the tournament poker edge podcast, brought to you by tournamentpokeredge.com the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy now here's your host clayton fletcher
1: hello once again everybody and welcome to the tournament poker edge podcast sponsored by america's card room where right now you can receive a 100% first-time deposit bonus up to $2,000 using the promo code TPE. That's TPE as in Tournament, Poker Edge. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, right here in New York City, and I want to thank you guys, first of all, for all of the wonderful feedback about last week's episode featuring the great... Ana Marquez. Uh, Ana was a very, very strong first-time guest. She had some excellent insight for us uh, as far as when to deviate from the GTO recommended strategy. She also told me about a program I'd never heard of before called GTO Wizard that I am going to have to check out because it's so funny the way this happens. I'm sure this happens to you guys too. Uh, I never hear about something. And then it seems like the moment I hear about something for the first time, it starts coming up over and over and over. Uh, you know, it turns out my dear friend Andrew Brokus and his excellent podcast, Thinking Poker, have been sponsored by this GTO Wizard operation for some time now, which really just proves how far behind on the Thinking Poker podcast I am. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I don't keep up with something, whether it's a podcast or a series that I'm in the middle of, I never skip ahead. So if I'm 20 episodes behind on the Thinking Poker podcast, I'm not going to listen to the most recent episode, even if it's a, a guest or a topic that I'm extremely interested in, until I listen to the other 19 in order first. Now, I don't know, maybe other people don't do things this way. Uh, I will never, ever skip ahead in anything. So I'm way behind on so many podcasts that I'm a fan of and so many TV series and other things that I'm supposed to be keeping up with, mostly because the last month or two, I have been absolutely swamped with work. I've been working very hard on, well, you know, the sponsorship deal with America's Card Room. First of all, that's taken up a lot of my time. But also, as many of you know, I had a major performance at Westside Comedy Club right here in Manhattan a few weeks ago, and that was a big deal because it was a special that I was recording. We had a camera crew. We had audio visual engineers. We had a lot of tech support. We had just a whole crew there for my big taping. So that was obviously a, a performance that was very important to me, and it was taking up so much of my time It really results in me not keeping up with anything that is not deemed absolutely essential. And as much as I love Andrew and the Thinking Poker podcast, uh, it can't be considered essential. It's very important, but not quite essential. So I fell way behind on that and so many other things. But now, for the rest of the year, I will be in catch-up mode. I'm also hoping to see some of you next week in Las Vegas where the World Poker Tour is holding its championship festival, a $15 million guaranteed main event with a $10,000 buy-in. So I'm excited to play in that. I'm very excited to hopefully see or even meet some of you there. Please let me know if you're planning to attend the festivities in Vegas by tweeting me at Clayton Comic. That's my handle on Twitter, Clayton Comic. Also want to encourage all of you to join the TPE Discord where things have been really bumping lately. We gave away a $2,650 Venom PKO seat. That was exciting. We also have given away five different $16 tournament tickets for ACR. Also a $215 tournament ticket all of this just exclusively for the members of the tpe discord now if you're not yet on that discord or you don't know what a discord is just click the link in the description to this podcast and you will become instantly edified so yeah i do hope to see some of you in vegas i'm looking forward to closing out the year strong as most of you will probably remember i did not have a great World Series of Poker, Uh, that's an understatement. I had a terrible (laughs) World Series of Poker playing some 30-odd events and only cashing twice and each cash was very small. So yeah, I'm ready to get back to Vegas now and redeem myself in a major way. There's something called the Prime Championship, which is an $1,100 buy-in with three different starting days. Of course, the 10K I already mentioned with a $15 million guarantee, which is officially the largest guaranteed prize pool in live poker tournament history. And of course, we cannot forget my favorite tournament of them all, the Mystery Bounty. Some of you know I made day two of the win Mystery Bounty over the summer. Uh, I had a halfway decent stack. I got it all in super, super good in a spot where I could have collected a bounty and actually had the experience of opening one of those envelopes that could contain anywhere from 500 all the way up to $250,000 and took a bad beat which basically put me out of the tournament. So I have many important goals on my calendar that are circled and one of them with blood red ink is to avenge my terrible loss. In the win mystery bounty this time it's a sixteen hundred dollar buy-in so something for everyone and if all of that is outside of your comfort zone don't worry there are plenty of cash games and satellites for you to indulge in just show up in Vegas later this month and I will see you there alright so for this episode I want to continue our review of the recent venom the pko version on America's Card Room. This is the same tournament that we've been discussing for a few weeks now and also the one from which Ana Marquez took the hand that we reviewed on last week's episode. So the blinds in this spot are 5,500 and 11,000 and there's also a 1,600 ante per player. I love these blind levels. You'll never see that In a live tournament, ever in your life. Uh, Remember, guys, this is not a big blind ante, it's an ante per player. So it does sort of change some strategy considerations, I think. In this hand, we start with 820,000 in our stack when the big blind is 11,000. So we are doing quite well. There is about 30,000 in the middle, and we've got 820,000 in our stack, which is right around average at this stage of the tournament, maybe slightly above. In this tournament, you begin with 300,000 tournament chips, and the blinds do increase rather slowly. Here we go. Uh, We are in the cutoff position at a pretty tough table. There are a few loose wild players at the table, but there are also a couple of epic world beaters, particularly the player on my immediate right. So this is the same table we were discussing two weeks ago when we were reviewing the same tournament. So the action goes uh, one fold and then the player in second position who is uh, relatively tight, he's running about 1811 over 500 hands, so he's fairly tight and he opens for the minimum to 22k. The action folds Two hero, Clayton Comic, in the cutoff. And I've got an ace of clubs, nine of clubs. So what to do with ace-nine suited in this spot? So we have one of the shorter stacks at the table. Uh, Again, our stack is right around average, but we've got a player on our immediate left on the button who is a very tough opponent. He's got over 3 million in chips and the blinds each have us covered but just barely now the playing styles of all the players on my left they don't seem to be too afraid of mixing it up and getting in there and so for that reason I don't recommend calling with the ace-9 suited anyway ace-9 ace-8 ace-7 suited I don't think they make really good calling hands even in position anyway like what are we really hoping to flop. I mean unless you hit a flush or a flush draw or some crazy two pair you are not going to be super confident no matter what happens. For example if I flop a top pair of nines I will still have to worry about the under the gun plus one razor having an over pair to the board and then that could cost me a lot of chips. Uh, if I flop an ace likewise I have to worry about having kicker problems down the line and how many chips am I willing to. To lose with top pair and a nine kicker now these problems are only exacerbated by the fact that we have tough opponents to our left and so for that reason i think that we either want to three bet to get rid of those players and try to isolate the pre-flop raiser or just fold the hand you know you don't have to play every suited ace you're ever dealt and doing so is certainly a losing strategy so this might be a spot for a fold and given that the original Razor is only an 18% V pip kind of guy, that is exactly what I do. I included this hand in our discussion though, because there are many times when I have a suited ace in position, especially on the button, but oftentimes in the cutoff as well. And I will put hands like this one into my three betting range. But in this particular circumstance, with all of these different factors, to consider i found the fold button and i'm pretty certain that is the best play on the very next hand so now we are in the hijack and the same table same blind same everything except the button moved one spot to the left we now have pocket threes in the hijack and the action folds to me so uh we're not folding this time guys we're going to enter this pot I come in for a min-raise. You can quibble with that if you want. I know a lot of players like to make it 2.1, 2.2 for whatever reason. I know that I've heard Carlos Welch talking about how many more folds you can get by just going slightly above the 2x big blind standard online sizing. So if you have some reason why you want to do that and you subscribe to that theory, I'm not going to quibble with that. I actually don't mind getting action I mean the goal here especially with these deep stacks remember we have about 73 big blinds here so we're not really just trying to steal the blinds I don't mind getting action what we're really trying to do is get into a big pot with a set so the first step to having a set is starting with a pair so that's what we're doing here and I really don't mind if I get a little bit of action so the uh, world beater on my left with 3 million in chips, makes the call, as does the small blind, who is a very loose and moderately passive type, at least in the first 30 or 40 hands that we've noticed. And then the uh, big blind, who is one of the tightest players at the table with only 14% VPIP, moves all in for 660,000 tournament betting units. Now, this player has a $2,300 bounty. So, we've got a real decision here. I mean, that's a lot of real American currency. $2,300 real dollars if I manage to bust this player. Uh, Certainly, I can consider shoving behind him. I do sometimes see players just flat call in this spot, leaving themselves with just about $130,000 more behind. I, I think that's odd, but I get... I get why they do it. There's not much difference between calling and shoving uh, in terms of actual chip amounts. And for those who don't really play a lot of progressive knockout bounty type of tournaments, you might be thinking, Clayton, what are we even thinking about with (laughs) just a pair of trays for 60 blinds? Uh, It seems crazy to even consider it. Well, number one, it's really about that bounty. He's got one of the biggest bounties on the table, Indeed, one of the biggest bounties in the tournament right now. There are a couple of bounties who are over 4,000. But yeah, he's got a very large bounty. Remember, the opening bounty, right when you buy into the tournament, your bounty is 625. So, you know, he's got his all the way up close to the actual buy-in for the tournament. That means we have to at least consider calling. Also, what are his most likely holdings? I mean, would any players that you can name really play pocket aces or pocket kings this way? I don't think so. I mean, uh, hands like that should make it like, I don't know, maybe like 150,000, trying to get a lot more chips in there. I mean, if he's playing a premium pocket pair this way, he is doing something unusual and pretty sneaky, knowing that players like me are going to put him on ace-king, which is almost certainly what he has it's really the only hand that makes any sense Uh, unless it's like pocket jacks a lot of players don't know how to play pocket jacks so they just figure I'll push and pray knowing that if they get called it's uh, at best a coin flip and most likely aces or kings although as I say that I realize I'm here considering making a call with pocket trays so maybe in that case this is a good move with uh, any pair (laughs) higher than threes but he can't possibly know that that's all we're working with um, I did eventually decide to fold as did everyone else. so we'll never know exactly what this player had. But these are the kind of spots that are no brainer folds in standard tournaments. But you know for me like to if I win a coin flip here and also collect that enormous bounty, I'll have a two times average stack and I'll have money in the bank. Uh, and that's really part of the strategy difference between a PKO and a standard, tournament. I just think Trey's a little too weak and also with two players yet to act behind me, either one of whom could be slow playing um, a hand much better than Trey's that is willing to call off for 60 big blinds before the flop. I do think that folding my pair of Trey's in this situation is the best play, but it's a lot closer than many of you might think. Okay, let's move ahead to very next hand. So here we go, three hands in a row. Uh, We are dealt pocket tens, and this time we are in the low jack. And some very strange behavior occurs as the player under the gun limps in, and the next player to act is that world beater that I mentioned before. Now this guy has an 11% ROI, over 10,000 hands with a... Triple-digit average buy-in so he is no joke. This is one of the top players on ACR and he also limps in so there are two limps first to act and second to act and now Clayton in third position at an eight-handed table aka the low jack the low jack I've got pocket tens and There are two limps in front of me now here. I am third in what should I do now? You can limp along If you want to, especially given that the player on your right is so tricky and so tough to figure out. uh, You can absolutely just limp right along with him if you want to. But just understand that if you do that, the downside of doing that is that you basically turn your pocket tens into pocket deuces. Mostly you're going to hate every flop that doesn't contain a 10. So you're kind of playing in a huge multi-way pot with lots and lots of opponents with uh, a pair that's probably good before the flop but will usually not be good on the flop unless you know the flop is magical or something so that's the downside now the pro the other side of 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 the coin would be you keep the pot small and keep the amount of your stack that's already in the middle before the flop Uh, to a minimum you can be cautious and preserve your average size stack for when you have uh, a hand of which you can be more certain. So that is the case for limping along. But you guys know me. I like to be aggressive. I think that tens are going to be good versus these two limpers a lot. I would like to isolate the first limper if it's possible to do so. But of course, it will not be possible to do so. I am going to end up in a multi-way pot one way or the other. So I just want to kind of be the one in position with what's likely to be the best hand even though one of my opponents has a substantial skill edge against me so we make it 53k and now the action folds all the way back to the original limper with over 1 million in chips and he calls and next the really tough player who had over limped in second position Three bets me to 260,000. Now, remember, guys, I only start this hand with just under 800,000. So, this raise represents about 27 28% of my stack. Do we want to just call and put in almost a third of our stack with pocket tens, knowing that we're usually going to hate the flop and have a really difficult decision against an extremely difficult opponent? which is likely to be for our tournament life on the flop. Also, calling might allow the original limper, who is a, a pretty loose player to begin with, to call. So then we'll end up playing an 800,000 plus chip pot in position versus two opponents with just pocket tens. So obviously what tough players do is put you to tough Decisions. I mean, he's basically threatening my entire stack, leveraging the fact that he's only put in less than a third of my stack, but he knows, and I know, and he knows that I know, he is actually threatening my entire stack with this raise. So, because this opponent is capable of doing this with such a wide range of hands, it feels to me a little bit weak to, to fold, having raised after two limpers and then fold. Uh, I also don't like the option of just flat calling the raise to 260 because, well, for the reasons I already already laid out, I don't want the other guy to come in. I don't want to have to play a three-way pot for all my chips with pocket 10s, knowing that I'm usually not going to hit a 10 on the flop. You know, the real question is, what is his range for limping after an under-the-gun limp and then three-betting my raise in third position? I mean, this just feels so strong. But if we just go around folding pocket 10s every time a tough player puts us in a tough spot, we're just going to be hemorrhaging tournament chips to that tough player. Uh, We also have to worry about the -the under-the-gun limper. Just because he's a loose player doesn't mean he's never going to do this with aces. As a matter of fact, nowadays when you see the limp under the gun, you have to be more worried about aces from those amateur players than you do from the professionals. The reason for this is that the professionals know the solvers don't actually like that limp three bet strategy under the gun with the big premium pairs. Generally speaking, at most tables, you are going to do better by just go ahead and put that pocket aces into your standard under the gun raising range, which also includes other big hands, premium pocket pairs, and then a few hands like ace five suited and Jack-10 suited for balance. So when he limps in, because I see him as recreational, that is another reason for me to worry that my 10s could be no good in this situation. And now I have to act before him, which really makes me wish I had just limped behind <laughs> the two limpers in the first place. Another fine mess I've gotten myself into. So what to do facing this limp 3-bet from one of the best players on the whole website. Well, look, guys, we, You know, we start this hand with about 73 big blinds. It might seem crazy to you, but my logic tells me I'm all in. So I put the whole stack in the middle. I am at risk for my tournament life and very happy to see the original limper fold. But obviously, the tough player calls... And he's got Ace King. Now, guys, when I tell you that I need to win this coin flip, I'm sweating. You know, I'm I'm sitting there. My heart is pounding. This is a huge hand. How did I get myself into this gigantic 160-some chip pot with just pocket tens versus Ace King? I mean, we certainly don't see this ...kind of action in the Killing Bird home game every Tuesday night on Twitch.tv slash Killing Bird. I'm just sitting there thinking no ace, no king, and boy was I happy when the flop came out 10, 9, 7. My opponent was drawing virtually dead, and Clayton Comics scoops this massive pot. Now, many of you would say I took way too much variance in this spot. Uh, I certainly could have just limped along with my 10s and tried to hit the set and then tried to get paid. Uh, But yeah, I guess I just did not want to get outplayed by this tough player, and I thought that 10s were a little too strong to fold before the flop. I want to know what you guys think. Hit me up on the Discord and the TPE Discord. Again, there's a link to join that Discord for free in the description of this podcast. You can also let me know your thoughts On Twitter, at ClaytonComic, where I always appreciate when you guys tweet me or send me DMs. I actually prefer that you do it in a public way so that we can all benefit from the conversation and keep the dialogue going, if you will. But, you know, put yourself in this tough player's shoes for a minute. How many of you have ever limped behind an under-the-gun limper with Ace King? I mean, that's just not a hand that he's supposed to show up with Very often, he had a plan for the hand, which was I'm going to limp and then be ready to put in a three bet. He's kind of hoping that I or someone else decide to put in a raise. And you know, his play is going to work quite a bit when I have a hand like Ace Jack or Ace Queen. I'm just going to be in a terrible spot when the same action occurs. Because I certainly want to raise with those hands as well. Not want to see a multi-way flop against seven or eight opponents, right? So I'm going to want to raise to try to thin the field a little bit. And then he's going to put in that back raise. And I'm just going to, oh man, what am I supposed to do with ace-queen in that situation? I mean, if I got it all in with tens, would I have also gotten it all in with ace-queen? I don't know. For 73 big blinds, maybe not. But I have to consider it because by the same logic, we can't just let These excellent players bully us. We have to take a stand at some point. And what's the worst hand you would do it with? I mean, at at the point we get to like pocket sevens, pocket sixes, suited aces, suited broadways. I'm mostly not raising in the first place. Those are the hands where I'm trying to just get a good flop and then build a pot. But yeah, the bigger pairs like nines, tens, jacks and up. He's just putting us in a really horrible spot. So just think about that when you look at your overall strategy. What hands would you never show up with in this spot? Like where you limp behind an under-the-gun limper when you are in second position and that under-the-gun limper is a loose and mostly passive, pretty bad recreational player. I'm not sure that in villain shoes I'm ever going to show up with Ace-King off-suit. Anyway, he put me in a terrible spot And I happened to win the uh, coin flip this time, which kept me alive for the rest of day one. So I can't wait to hear what you guys think about these hands today. And by the way, if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, one of the best things you can do for us just to make sure that we always get credit for the downloads, even if you don't end up listening to it, uh, just click subscribe on whatever podcast catcher you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, or wherever else you might be listening, please do click subscribe, because that actually helps us out quite a bit. And that'll do it for this episode. Hoping to see some of you in Las Vegas later this month. And with special thanks to our very generous sponsor, America's Card Room. And for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening.
0: I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me I love it. Luck and intuition, play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart With her heart, there we will be. While little gambling is fun when you're with me. I love it. Russian roulette is not the same without a gun. And baby, when it's loving, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun. Oh, whoa. Oh.